0: Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM Grey Hoss.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Earl Grey, Trick FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Richard Marquez, and here with me is Amy Nelson and Lee Hutchison. Hey guys, how
0: you doing? Pretty, pretty good. It's nearly Christmas time.
2: Very excited to be having a couple weeks off to go see friends and family for the holiday.
1: Yeah, I'm going to be a bum and I'm going to play video games the whole entire time. So, yep, lots of couch time.
0: (laughs) So you've not changed since you were a little boy then, Richard. Uh,
1: You know, you say that, but actually I was banned uh, as a child uh, from video games many years ago. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) enough about my childhood. Um, (laughs) So uh, before we actually go dive into the episode, which we're going to be discussing uh, the road to DS9 uh, in TNG. Uh, we like to actually uh, thank someone who has actually just recently emailed us about our first episode. Lee?
0: Yeah, Rebecca was one of the people that dropped us an email that this is actually the first episode that we've recorded where we actually now have your feedback to respond on. We're, We're quite ahead of the curve in terms of episode output. So this is our first one where we've seen your comments, got your emails. And Rebecca, had, uh, through the wonderful joy of the Patreon zone, has listened to our second episode already. And she was kind of talking about our first and two episodes where we really spoke about utopia. And she, while she left a full and beautiful email, we're just going to focus on the last little section here for you guys. Rebecca says, I hope I live to see the day when humans make first contact with another advanced life form. Yes, I do believe intelligent life exists somewhere in the universe. So I hope that we evolve to be more like TNG. It'll be a far better society, but how we get there is entirely up to us. I'm going to try and remind myself that I can be a better person thanks to Star Trek. And thank you to Rebecca for sharing that email with us. It was a beautiful email and maybe we'll put up in the Patreon zone the the full email she sent us. It truly was something special to get in our, our inbox, an early Christmas present. Yes,
2: it was, and we are so grateful for Rebecca and the other comments that have been said on the Babel conference. And we look forward to uh, reading and responding to each one. So keep the comments coming; we love them.
1: Indeed, yeah, I woke up this morning uh, loving that uh, <laughs> that email, just like, oh yes, we got fan mail. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> like I said before, we're going to be discussing about the road to DS9 on TNG. Episodes that uh, we feel that ha- uh, paved the road for Deep Space Nine to better understand uh, the story plots and, uh, well, not the characters, but because uh, we don't see them until the beginning of Deep Space Nine. But definitely uh, uh, give, gives, a, gives us a background of what's going on, especially in the Cardassian side of space. So if you guys want to pause your podcast for whatever reason to uh, maybe formulate your own thoughts, but uh, we're going to be discussing four episodes. Best of both worlds. Technically, that's two because part one and two, um, and Chain of Command, another part uh, two-parter, <laughs> and the Wounded, and also uh, row So, yeah. So let's dive into this uh, this rich subject of going into deep space Dying that we didn't even know we were going to get until it dropped. What season three or four of TNG? So, uh, okay. So let's let's start off with Best of Both Worlds. Uh, in this episode, uh, uh, with a good majority of us, it's uh, already know uh, what's going on. But a quick synopsis of this is that uh, Captain Picard um, is abducted by the Borg because eventually they uh, f- managed to get to the Federation. Starting in was it Q?
0: Qhu. Qhu. Uh,
1: it was in Qhu that uh, we first in- we were introduced by the Borg, and uh, it took this long to finally get uh, get to us. Or for them to get to us. So obviously, uh, in this, in the first episode, uh, Captain Picard is the one that's uh, abducted and assimilated by the Borg to basically assimilate Earth and the entire Federation. Or in this case, uh, they were talking about more about the human race, and um, it, which resulted to the cliffhanger that everyone that ruined everyone's summer <laughs> in between seasons three and four. And and then of course we open up with season four with the Battle of Wolf Three Five Nine and then of course you know um, the Federation wins. <laughs> so, uh, uh, the the side of it that we do not see is Lieutenant Commander Sisko, who was on board the USS Saratoga during the Battle of Wolf Three Five Nine, where forty ships were destroyed and uh, eleven thousand crew members were killed and we don't we obviously don't see that because we didn't know we we're going to get deep space nine so what do you guys think of that
0: <laughs> yeah for me um i think like obviously these are a mixture of intentional and unintentional episodes that set up uh deep space nine and obviously best of both worlds is an unintentional one that they kind of go in after the fact and you know Obviously, at the time of Next Generation, and I think it was 91, this episode came out, the budget just wasn't there for this big space battle. That with the launch of Deep Space Nine in 93, that they were able to spend the money to to do Wolf 359 quite right. And this is our only little appearance of the Borg. And I think the idea that they took Sisko's past and tied it into Picard that really creates that kind of complete divide straight away that if Picard was totally different from Captain Kirk the swashbuckling captain then Sisko is completely opposite to Picard again and I think the tension that they use with the Wolf 359 incident to create this like fissure between the two characters is fascinating and to that they could have killed Jennifer Sisko and oh, could have been a space disaster or a shuttlecraft accident transport accident but the fact that they tied it into Star Trek canon and made it something part of the Star Trek shared universe which was still really rare at that time they really were quite hesitant to get involved with that really add something to best of both worlds and now you can't watch best of both worlds without thinking of Emma And what now knowing some of the people that were really affected by Wolf 359.
2: Yeah, I agree with you about the captains. And, you know, I think about how when Next Generation started, they were just trying to so distance themselves from the original series and that they are going to be their own Star Trek and not rely on uh, TOS. And then here we get DS Nine, where the first episode they are relying back to TNG and bringing along those listeners, or sorry, those uh, viewers, and really making the connection between the two shows just right from the get go, and I think that really uh, adds to it. And you know, we since uh, Deep Space Nine was airing uh, simultaneously as the next generation, I think it was a very smart move to bring in those viewers and to have that launching point and not, you know, and they were, uh, very good to make that differentiation, which I think was needed so that DS nine was its own show, but still had that connection and that tie in. So I think it was really smart on their part.
1: Yeah. It definitely created a certain atmosphere for between Cisco and Picard. And, you know, it, it really could, I mean, obviously, uh, being the diplomat that he is, is that it? It just it's like, or being the diplomat that Picard was, is that you know Cisco? Uh, obviously it shows that Cisco was hurt by the whole entire um, battle, which who wouldn't? Um, if, especially if you lost a, lot, a loved one during the battle. Um, but like, yeah, it's it, it definitely sets a tone for why he doesn't want to be there, or at least uh, be, uh, the beginning story. It, it shows that he doesn't even want to be there, so. Yeah.
0: I think it's very bold as well because Picard was was so popular really at that time and to have like your new character come in and really dislike Picard even though you could argue his reasons kind of justified it's kind of uncomfortable to watch that you've got this captain that you've known for six years now and people are fond of they've got that attachment to and this new character comes in and is like really butting heads with him going like he makes Picard feel really upset and it's hard not to watch the emissary pilot and want to put an arm around Picard and going it's okay John Look, it's okay don't listen to this guy we knew it wasn't your fault 0359 was not your fault and I think that was a, a very bold move
1: yeah very much so okay well uh let's move on to the wounded uh Actually, if you guys want to listen to, from there to here, uh, myself and Will uh, actually did episode 146, and... um you know, we had a very good, uh, thorough discussion. Actually, we, we were talking about the road to DS9 as well, even in this episode. So <laughs> it's funny how we're now talking about it again, <laughs> or at least I'm talking about it again. So, which is great. Um, so, basically, uh, the synopsis of this uh, this episode is basically um, Captain Benjamin Maxwell uh, appears to go rogue with the USS Phoenix, um, and the Enterprise is basically uh, uh, supposed to go in there and resolve what situation is going on and it turns out that uh, maxwell might be right that there, um that the cardassians were uh building uh, were creating a military buildup uh, along the uh, the cardassian border and um they were trying to do it very sneakily or very sneaky um and uh and obviously it it, it results to some kind of an, uh, an engagement between the phoenix and the enterprise and the Cardassians, and. Um, yeah, I mean this is a very this is actually a very interesting episode to me because uh we have a Galar... I mean in uh, anyone that's a Space 9 fan knows that um in in the seasons that uh during the seasons that the galar class starship or warship um is almost matched to the Enterprise. Now obviously if it's outnumbered then yeah it's it's, it's a goner. But <laughs> but like, you know, it attacks the Enterprise like it has lasers and it's like okay yeah this guy's not going to they're not going to you know beat us up or anything or destroy us or anything like that but obviously they get stronger as as the episodes go um and one more thing is that yeah the, what is up with those helmets <laughs> <laughs> do you guys do you guys know what I'm talking about the helmets and everything? yeah, they yeah. look like the the Browns football team,
0: <laughs> okay, that reference is lost on me there because i I actually like proper football and not this American um interpretation of it um but yeah, I'll, I'll go along with that. I'll indulge you, Richard. <laughs> Oh,
1: okay. Well, they look like football helmets, leather football helmets, which they probably are leather, but they look like they, uh, Will and I was joking about that. They look like the Cleveland Browns and, um, basically their uniform is brown and orange. So there you go.
2: Well, since we're on aesthetics, (laughs) did you notice their little like spoon divot in their forehead? They had it on their uniform as well. So it sort of mirrored each other as a reflection,
0: right? Yeah. And they had a really dodgy old man, like an uh, like they had a really dodgy your da goatee sort of thing that with the beard and everything like that. It looks really weird, like never to be seen from again. Thankfully, they're like half reads of like uh, Kleons or something like that from the original yeah. series. <laughs> I think. I mean, for me, I think this episode is is really critical in quite a lot of respects of unintentionally setting up Deep Space Nine because um, what's our first introduction to the Cardassians. O'Brien takes a starring role in a way that we've not seen him before do. And we've got... um, We've got like um, talk of the Cardassians, what we can expect from them, what their history shows us and what history will show again that we see Maxwell claim that, you know, when you find out what the Cardassians are doing, they're always planning. They're always up to something. And watching this now with having seen Deep Space Nine, you could imagine that like the writings on the wall that they would go to do something like join the Dominion their behavior is already well telegraphed and, you know, you know what you can expect from the Cardassians and they truly are a wonderful villain to introduce in the next generation that there's something different to what we've encountered with the Klingons, Romulans, original series staples, the Borg have been a brilliant, threatening addition, but you know, you can't interact with them in the way that you can with the other species, the Ferengi, well, you know, you can argue (laughs) if that was a success or failure or not, but with the Cardassians, it's this now duplicitous villains, you know, scheming, up to no good. You know, they're not afraid to stab you, you know, behind your back and smile as they do it. They're they're they immediately hook you as like, damn, I want to see more of these people. I mean, because this uh, this
1: episode uh, is it, it's it like it says to me that yeah, like like Lee was saying, you know, it they're very deceptive. They're up to no good. It, uh, it's classic, uh, uh, I guess you could say, Cold War um, sort of like tactics, you know, building up uh, military arms, uh, b- uh, b- redeploying troops to certain areas that are, um, are going to probably be uh, uh, important. And, well, you know, I don't know exactly where it was, uh, where they were on the border of the Cardassian Federation border, but um, it must be close to Bajor. Because uh, I know that shortly after this they uh, they invaded, not uh, after that, or because I don't think I don't think they mentioned uh, inv- uh, the Cardassians invading Bajor, did they?
0: Yeah, they don't mention it in this episode. But by this point in history, that they have invaded, uh, they have been on Bajor for quite a long time. They really are in the kind of the thick of the occupation. Um, by this point, it's kind of probably in the, the final year or two of the occupation at this point of Bejor. But for they've been there for a good few decades now. It's just Bajor has not really been mentioned until, until our next episode.
1: That's a good point. Yeah, that's true. I, I
0: don't, another thing I think is quite significant with this episode and into kind of Ensign rule is we start to see something that Deep Space Nine really runs with, that the Cardassians really perhaps don't inspire the Federation to be on their best behavior. And we see this idea that the Cardassians... And you know they're duplicitous, but the Federation are as equally at it. That we see Maxwell, you know, regardless of the, his justifications, really goes off without orders and starts to attack Cardassian ships, taking them out behind the lines. And he make he tries to make the argument to Picard that, oh, we we know they're going to do that. How do you know that? What information? And I think particularly at the point this episode came out, this was came out just around the time of the first Iraq uh, war so there's quite a few parallels we see in that scene with kind of what was going on in um, the west at the time and what's going on in space so there's an interesting parallel there um, and I think it's it's an interesting angle we've not perhaps seen so much in TNG at this point we see O'Brien you know slightly you know distrusting of the, the Cardis and he doesn't want to drink with them he doesn't want to know them we see Starfleet officers in the next generation that are a bit more kind of seasoned in terms of going through war experiences and are willing to not trust species not willing to respect treaties and that's something we'll see a lot more played with in Deep Space Nine so I think that's an unintentional precursor as well as how Starfleet interacts with the Cardassians and how the Cardassians complement the Federation perhaps in that respect
1: right and you know and i'm glad you brought that up because uh the the i guess you can call it racial slurs the spoonheads is uh is what they called them and uh you know obviously it sets a tone i mean it sets a tone on our side it sets a tone on their side with these episodes that um you know we're going to uh, still be discussing and it, it's it just it, it just creates it creates that great environment that you know like yeah we have some we have some beef with them and then again they do too as well and you know we, we yeah it's it's a great start to. Um, on Deep Space Nine especially with this episode because it's one of my it's, it is one of my favorite uh, episodes especially when it deals with Cardassians and
0: TNG so yeah. like one yeah. last thing I would say on this episode for, for me personally is um, I think it's a brilliant showcase for Kalmini that he's not just got this guy in the transporter room this is like a proper amazing actor and I think in this moment when they see like the idea that they're going to bring the Cardassians are going to be the ones that will be kind of Deep Space Nine's main main threat and character that they they're going to build upon that. Like, Call Meany's work in this episode is like you would look at that and go, Why is this guy not a regular? And you can see the path to Deep Space Nine is now going to bring on Call along with him, along with the Cardassians. And this episode hand in hand sells that they're going to go to Deep Space Nine together,
1: right? And it, it definitely shows, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's move on to Ensign Row. So quick synopsis. Uh, the Enterprise is, uh, takes on Ensign Roe uh to help track down the Bajoran terrorists who attacked a Federation colony. Um, we also see uh, a conspiracy with uh, with Admiral Kennedy, who um, I guess is uh, trying to help uh, the Cardassians uh, in a non-legal uh, <laughs> capacity that uh, uh, clearly the Federation cannot do or neither can uh the enterprise can do. So, um, and this, this episode is really a great, uh, intro to the Bajorans. Uh, we see, uh, that they're terrorists and, or at least we, we assume that they're terrorists uh, based on what the Cardassians have portrayed them as, as well as the information that we get from, um, apparently the Federation as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a great intro. What do you guys think?
2: Yeah, I like uh, Ensign Rowe and, you know, especially the intro to the Bajorans when she's walking, you know, with Picard and basically giving her history of, you know, all the reasons why she left and why she joined Starfleet to get away, uh, you know, from what was going on. And I think it really sets it up and and shows – uh, the Bajoran side of this whole deal. So I really appreciated that with the episode.
0: I think it's interesting that this kind of episode is about 18 months now before kind of Deep Space Nine launches. And I think it would be even more significant if one of the original plans for Deep Space Nine was that Michelle Forbes' Enten role was going to be playing kind of the role that Kira played. Um, but Michelle Forbes wasn't interested in committing to a, a television series at that time. And um so she decided to continue making movies and the character that we all know and love of Kira was so close to never existing if Michelle Forbes had said, oh, sign me up. So the idea of Michelle Forbes um, her introduction to Star Trek and subsequently she could have been that Deep Space Nine regular could have made this an even more critical episode. I think once again, this kind of continues with the world building and it's, it's certainly something that we've not really seen in Star Trek The Next Generation before. We've now got these this different species, the Bajorans, where they're, they're terrorists, they're refugees, the line of how they've behaved towards the Cardassians, it's justified, is it morally justified? There's a lot of interesting things that are going on in play here. And with The Next Generation, sometimes these things were a little black and white. With what we're hearing from the Bajorans, it's it's very complicated. It's very shades of grey. And that's another thing that they're really going to go run with when they get to Deep Space Nine. So I think that's a, a really interesting concept in itself. And I think, again, it's showing sometimes the conflict that we'll see with Kira. Federation-Bajoran conflict. As soon as she comes off the transport pad, get that earring off. We're not having that on the bridge. Um, so you can see why someone like Kira, for example, with, you know, How they've perhaps interacted with the Bajorans before, they've not helped them in their occupation, you know, how perhaps they've behaved towards uh, Roel that the Federation, you know, this idea that we're perhaps all inclusive, we're one big happy family not always if they're not letting perhaps the you know traditional sense come with the earring and not allow that and not help with the occupation so you can already see this tension that it's not just me a case that the federation can turn up when they arrive on Space nine and sign a treaty and everyone's all one happy family there's a lot of roads to be built between the federation and Bajor
1: one of the, one of the things that uh, really hits me hard with uh, when it comes to like the Bajorians is that obviously this is before nine eleven um and it's uh it, you know i mean i remember several uh, several interviews with uh, uh nana visitor as well as michelle forbes uh, uh talking about how uh, Bajorans are perceived as terrorists and you know is it is it relevant to today uh as you know ca- uh you know are the characters relevant to what's going on today now granted it's a little different <laughs> cuz you know um uh the terrorists uh, attacked us isis and al qaeda at, or at least in the United States, that is. And actually, no. I'm sorry. Uh, let me rephrase that. Actually, it was everyone, even London, um, uh, even got attacked. And it's just, I mean, obviously this is a, this, this is a little bit different storytelling. That they're obviously uh, the Bajorans are being the victims um, within this conflict. That they weren't even being they weren't even being invaded, or, or they they were being invaded by an outsider. And, you know, they lost everything, well, practically everything. Now they're refugees throughout the galaxy, or at least in this part of space. So, um, yeah, seeing this, <laughs> I guess, after the fact, uh, or, or, you know, I actually watched this before 9-11 even happened, and uh, and then looking at it afterwards, it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's really hard to have some compassion for them. Um but at the same time, it, it, it I mean, it's an absolute great intro for them. I mean, it really is. So,
0: I think that's something I've always thought with Deep Space Nine, and, and I've said it on the record for for many a year now. Like, Deep Space Nine is like a post-9-11 show in a pre-9-11 world. And, like, we're kind of the idea that the Bajorans, that it's it's a bit more gray in this terms of their their. Are they terrorists? Are they freedom fighters? You know, the, the classic saying, you know, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. And yeah, that, that's certainly something that is becoming a bit more refined, perhaps in the 90s. The, you know, the idea of how you, you know, you make these things a bit more grayer that, you know, look at films of kind of, you know, even just a few years before this came out. Living Daylights, you've got what would, you know, kind of be Al Qaeda, for example, um, are this this the celebrated heroes. James Bond joins forces with them. Rambo three, you know, dedicates to the freedom fighters of um, of um, Afghanistan. So the idea that they're playing here with kind of terrorism is a bit more greyer is kind of a, a more kind of interesting aspect of the 90s that next generation in deep space nine will go on to explore making things a bit more grayer and it's many an episode of deep space nine deals with that issue of Kira's done a very quite a lot of morally suspect you know actions as her time in the, kind of during the occupation you know is she a terrorist? Is she a freedom fighter? And that's part of a, a fascinating debate that we're, we've discussed here with Ensign Row and will continue to thread itself through Deep Space Nine. So I think that's something that you know the writing team certainly saw in this episode and, and ran with.
1: You think they had a uh, they had a uh, they were thinking of ISIS or Al-Qa- or I'm sorry, ISIS actually didn't even exist at that time. Um, so Al Qaeda or uh, something something along those lines.
0: Um. It, it's it's hard to say and everything like that. I think I, I can't really say for kind of much certainty and all that sort of stuff. I, I, I wouldn't think so. I think it would just be kind of Really good writing that you know, this occupied nation, and you know, you only have to look kind of across the sea to kind of what was going on in Ireland and very, you know, many places around the world, you know, that have been occupied that have fought back against you know, occupying forces. So it, it, it's hard to say, I think it's more kind of reflecting what a lot of was going on in the world in, in 1991 and um, kind of. You know, good writing, you know, not just making people black and white, terrorist, freedom fighters, but making it an interesting debate to be had.
1: Yeah, I completely forgot about the IRA. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah. I'm sorry. Boring fact for you that um, in the... um, in the episode, The High Ground, which kind of deals with terrorism, they talk about, they, they, they kind of allude to that. And then the idea of a united Ireland, that episode was actually, you know, th- that segment was actually banned in Britain in the 90s. So, um, you know, we talk about kind of terrorism as a hot topic now. That issue was is still kind of a hot topic really in the 90s. And Star Trek kind of wasn't too far away from the headlines here in the UK for, for that remark.
1: Okay, so off to our next episode, Chain of Command. Uh, Picard, Worf, and Dr. Crusher are re- reassigned from the Enterprise to a secret mission while the Enterprise is under the command of Captain Edward Jellicoe, who immediately starts t- making changes, much to his dismay of the crew. And this is our classic Four Lights episode. So what do you guys think?
0: I think, for me, this is the most significant one because this is a purposeful introduction to Deep Space Nine, that this uh, this two-part aired in December 92, 93, um, and then the following month in January, uh, Deep Space Nine launched, and there was going to be a much more kind of stronger tie between the two episodes because the um, Ferengi that Crusher and Picard visit was actually going to be Quark on Deep Space Nine, That this was going to be that kind of a precursor to Deep Space Nine, a really strong tie in, um, and I think that this idea that, like, it really sets up the Cardassians as the big bads that we've kind of this is our third episode now with them, and we really are seeing them as like you know like they're classic villains by this point with kind of their actions. We've we've seen that they've been an occupying force. We've seen the the uh, talk of this Federation alliance with them being kind of a bit suspect we've now seen them developing weapons kidnapping starfleet officers torturing them like you know the idea that the borg were set up because they assimilated captain picard but they rescued them at the end this sets them up as like these people aren't kind of driven by one hive mind these people are bad they're horrible they really are loathsome duplicitous and that is hammered home with their conduct in regard to picard It's not just that they they beat him, it's that they psychologically maim him, that they they do it with a calm and controlled voice. And we see the tensions as well that, we see someone like Jellico brought in—that someone that's dealt with the Cardassians—and like the fact that this, you know, stern person has got to be brought in to deal with the Cardassians. It's not like many of the aliens we've seen dealt with in the Federation in, in any Star Trek to this point, where they're dealt with with a kind of softly, softly kind of voice or kind of the, you know a man-to-man conversation. These people, there's a lot of psychology to how they behave and how they interact. And you see that in Angelico when he goes, "Nah, just leave them be for 15 15 minutes like it's they they they're a psychologically well-defined race in these kind of four episodes that they've appeared in in TNG and boy are they set up to kind of go on a home run for seven years in Deep Space Nine
2: yeah I agree um I was thinking about you know the main bad guys on Next Gen and you have the Borg and everyone you know knows about them but they're like your zombies in space and their purpose is very clear and So you know exactly what to expect with them. And then here we get now the Cardassians. And their psychological torture is, I mean, it creates such a depth to them and really creates and sets them up as the perfect villains for next generation and therefore Deep Space Nine. Um, I really, it's just... So, so, so good. So what I wanted to say about this is like, yeah, you have this psychological torture that he's going through. And, oh, well, you're free to go. Um, I'll just get the information from the woman. And so Picard chooses to stay. You know, I mean, just that back and forth that they have creates this level of nemesis and villain that has not been shown before. So when Golmadrid brings and allows his daughter to come in, I mean, just that sends chills down my spine. It's like, how can you allow your daughter to see this? Well, you know, and it just adds another level of complexity to the Cardassians of, you know, this is life and we uh, allow our children to see it and, you know... it just—it's amazing setup to the Cardassians, and I think this is a fabulous episode.
1: Now, okay, so I did have a question between you guys, uh, or for—I uh, did have a question for you guys. So, a lot of people out there uh, compare a lot of the species that we see are uh, the adversaries of the Federation um, to countries. What do you guys see Cardassia as? I mean, like, because for me. Um, I've been reviewing a lot of things like uh you know a lot of people are saying Roman uh Roman the Roman Empire and um and I'm seeing uh, I'm seeing North Korea <laughs> is what I'm I'm seeing. So what what do you what do you guys think? And yeah.
0: Um I think it it's an amalgamation of many many different kind of you know historical ideas and points of view. I see elements of Russia, North Korea, America, um, you know, th- it, there's so many kind of threads through history that you can kind of kind of pull on that. I, de- I definitely see a bit more kind of in you know, a-, a bit of Russian how they kind of conduct themselves politically, um, how they align themselves. That we kind of think of Russia for many years, much like Cardassi is a friend of the. The West, you know, which the Federation is mostly dominated by characters from the West, whereas at the same time, have we ever truly trusted them? Um, politically you know it's 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 a it's an algamation of many things i think there is definitely an element of north korea there but on top of that there's so 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 many things that when we look at kind of their their torture methods is it any different from what we kind of saw in the the war on terror and how kind of people were being tortured for information and um, you know no absolutely not so i i see you know america russia north korea iran you know all these people are involved in kind of the amalgamation of um, of what made the Cardassians.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it's a mixture. And, you know, I'm just trying to think of what, you know, is there one specific country that has had such mind games, you know, that we've had to deal with? I'm not sure. I'm not such the history buff, but I just think whatever it is they those mind games and the psychological torture that they you know would have to mimic
0: i guess would be yeah russia north korea i'll agree like star trek villains really are drawn from the history books that we look at the original series and we really are we were dealing with kind of the the cold war at the time and the klingons and um, the romulans were drawn kind of from from kind of the russia at the time germany these sorts of things and then we kind of cut to kind of the next generation the romulans then kind of took on kind of a bit more of the romulan side there was always this kind of theory that the borg for example were kind of based on japanese technology and the advancements there so i think you know even in kind of going to say sort of the zindi that kind of arc was taken kind of from the the post 9-11 world so i think i think it is fair to say that while that it would. The Star Trek has a tradition of painting their their villains as pulling from historical parallels and kind of nations. And yeah, I think there's there's definitely a case to be made there that they've done that again with the Cardassians.
1: You know, I actually just remembered that um, a, a good majority of um, what I've read actually the Romulans were more North Korea than anything else because of because of the long silence and, you know, isolationism uh, as well, and just being deceptive altogether. Um, But, like, I mean, when it comes to, like, the Cardassians, I mean, obviously it's, like, for me, for me personally, I I really believe that the Cardassians were portrayed as, like, Nazi Germany. Um, Yes, parts of it for for, uh, the Roman Empire because of their – they want to expand and basically – spread um Cardassia pride all throughout the galaxy or i'm sure they would love to take over the uh, federation but um yeah i mean those are the two uh, i mean really those are the two really big ones that that or in my head.
0: <laughs> you know, you're so. definitely right. Because, you know, the, the key words you pick up are thing like the occupation, how they kind of treated the Cardassians. You know, they, they came into this rather peaceful nation and just plundered them for all their resources. And, um, you know, some of the imagery we'll go on to see in Deep Space Nine really does kind of tie in with kind of... Um, of the the aspects of kind of the Nazi Party, so there is definitely a a more so than any other race ever in Star Trek. There is a lot of kind of Nazi imagery with how the Cardassians are are represented.
1: So on, um, so I just wanted to add a little bit more to Chain of Command. Um, so obviously the B plot, the A plot is uh, uh, Picard going into Seljuq um, three and um, uh, on that secret mission of. Uh, special ops that the uh, Federation apparently doesn't have, um, or military that they d- apparently don't have. Um, but like uh, the B plot in this whole entire uh, episode is the ca- uh, the friction between Captain Jellico and the crew. And one of the opinions that I'm starting to uh, starting to hear is that Captain Jellico is actually a pretty awesome guy. And you can find this on YouTube. There's an episode. It, you can even type this in: Why Captain Jellico is a- uh, actually a pretty awesome and you know for me personally he's that commander that comes in all huffy and puffy and he's a jerk <laughs> but you know he's a, apparently a good a great commander because he's dealt with the cardassians and you know as we saw in the ending of the episode you know he got it right so i don't know what do you guys think do you guys think captain jellico is a great guy
0: I think that I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna pull it back into the thread in a way. I think it's again it shows for the third time in a row when we're dealing with the Cardassians. We see it with Maxwell, we see it with uh, the Badmiral, and now um, we see it with Jellicoe. Is that the Cardassians? You know, Picard has dealt with them and with kind of relatively softly. He he's all about keeping the peace, and that we have these kind of really tougher, harder edged a bit more stern characters that have really kind of gone toe to toe with the Cardassians. And that's something I think you see as almost a precursor to Benjamin Sisko. that again, Sisko is very different to Picard. He doesn't, you know, you know, Want to almost keep the peace with sort of say Ducat really um, when they they kind of first meet each other there, there's immediate tension between the two characters and I think that Cisco garners Ducat's respect for his approach and I think with the the way Deep Space Nine is positioned so close to Cardassia they needed someone in that kind of similar vein to Jellico to kind of come in that's going to be no nonsense it's going to be you know really very stern with them and I think that's kind of helps in a way with that that kind of the choice to go with what they did with cisco and i think that's a kind of continuing parallel that you know the picard captaincy perhaps won't work to kind of dealing with the cardassians long term
2: yeah i think jellicoe does really good of hope for the best and plan for the worst and you know, he's getting the Enterprise battle ready. And, you know, the Enterprise isn't, we're out to explore space and meet new people and scientific survey. And, well, on this mission, I mean, that's exactly what he needs to do is to prepare the Enterprise and her crew to for these Cardassians who we've seen uh, will probably end up going to war with. And so I think his no-nonsense type of style, it, it is there, like you say, Lee, to, you know, show that there are not everyone's going to be the dip- diplomat and like Picard and, you know, but he's there, he's got a job to do and let's get it done. And so I appreciate Jellicoe for that and the, showing the range of different styles of captains because we've just, up to this point, what, we've seen Captain Kirk and Picard and a few minor Captains elsewhere. But, you know, Jellico here, we can really see uh, his style and how it differs and how he can be just as effective as Picard.
1: Well, talking about the road to DSpace 9 on the next generation isn't the only topic that we've been talking about here on the network. Here's a quick look at what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, to the journey!
0: Beep. Yeah, that's that's what happened to the Equinox crew. Actually, you know, we we never did find out what happened to them. But in my head cannon, they're actually in little hamster wheels down in the engineering, making the ship go faster. <laughs> faster, <laughs> Mister
2: Lessing, faster.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Melodic treks. Now both of those tracks make me think of Indiana Jones.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think you, you're you're kind of right there, and um, I'm not ashamed to admit that I have only ever seen the fourth Indiana Jones movie. Dear Lord, meta treks. And that's that's the world of language that we live in. It's not this this purely referential sense of language. Like when Riker says a minuet, he doesn't just mean, "Oh, yeah, that thing minuet that I can point to, whatever that is on the holodeck, right?"
1: A 17th century French dance. Maybe maybe he wants to dance.
0: <laughs> Riker wants to bust a
1: move. Saturday morning trek. When she did the psychic girl? Yes. Like that one where I was just like really in shell, yeah. like that, that is the direction that you want to go like.
0: They are putting a, a device in the warp control room. Oh no.
1: Like I was just, oh man. But you could tell it was in a shell. And I was, I was, I was laughing so hard at that. It was so much fun. And that's what else is happening on Trek.FM.
2: You can listen to every show on the network at trek.fm with links for iTunes, streaming services and a direct download link. This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPod, iPad, Kindle, Android, Windows phones plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. Thank you, Audible, for supporting Earl Grey and Trek FM. If you are a weekly listener and would like to directly help Earl Grey, please consider becoming a patron of Trek FM. That's how I got started. At patreon.com slash trekfm, you can choose a pledge level and receive rewards for becoming a Trek FM patron. You will be inside the observation lounge of our network, able to participate in our monthly patron roundtable podcast, and supporting the production of all our great content, we would like to take this moment to thank our current Patreon associate producers, Stephen Boyd, Michael Huttner, and Ron Sarna. Thank you for supporting Earl Grey. Connect with other Trek FM listeners on our Facebook discussion group called The Babel Conference, found through the Facebook search field, or like the Facebook.com/TrekFM page for show updates and announcements. The network is also on Twitter at Trek FM. If you would like to contact Lee, Richard, or me, Amy, visit trek.fm slash contact to send us a subspace message or find us on social media. So, Richard, where can people find you on the internet?
1: Well, uh, they can find me on the Babel Conference. Uh, I pop in here and there. I'll cause a little trouble here and there. (laughs) Or at least try not to. Um, And I'm also on Twitter at xRansom.
2: And, Lee, where can people contact you?
0: Yeah, you can find me at Lee underscore Nostromo. You can find me at Star Trek VHS, my dedicated twitter account to all that forgotten star trek vhs artwork co- collection that i've uh, curated over the years and um yeah you can find me on my own podcast filibuster where i talk about nerd and geek culture sometimes talk about star trek a bit more broadly in terms of the the movies and all kind of you know indie movies you know everything in between so yeah you can find me there
2: All right. And you can find me at Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, uh, but you can mostly find me on the Mabel Babel conference. That's where I like uh, hanging out. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Great joy and gratitude.
1: It is a good day to die.
0: Let's see what's out there.